You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Well, it is lovely to be here with you. It's been ages since I've been online, so hi. Um, It's just really great to be here. And if you're watching now or you're catching up, um, yeah, we're just really hoping that this word speaks to you this morning. Um, And hopefully God has something to say to you. So if I was in a room with you just now, I'd be asking for a show of hands of who uses Facebook. That's a hands up for me. Or who uses Instagram. Not so much of a hands up for me. Um, I am basically... I think, let's face it, I'm just a bit middle-aged. I'm not quite cool enough for Insta. I've tried, guys. I've really tried. Um, But anyway, maybe you've put your hands up for one of those. Maybe you've not. But I go on Facebook, and basically, I am a nosy neighbor. Um, I don't post very much, but I love to see what's going on in people's lives. Is that you too? Are you willing to admit it? Just me again? But anyway, I, um, I'll assume you're all agreeing at home and you get what I'm on about. But I've got some friends on Facebook that I know a lot about. I know where they went on holiday last week. I know that on Tuesday they ate pancakes. On Friday they had cocktails. On Saturday they went to the theme park. I know how they're feeling. I know what their kids have been up to, what kind of mood they're in. Uh, I know where they live, probably. I know what they do for a living. I know tons about them. I've got a lot of knowledge about them. But if I bumped into them in the street, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know, would I? I wouldn't really know how they're doing or who they are. Not, not in here. So knowledge of something doesn't always mean knowing. So let's read and see what we can explore about our God, our God that knows all and wants to be known. So let's read. We're in Acts again, but loving the journey through Acts. I hope you are too. Acts 17, 16 to 34. Maybe you want to look it up on your app or in your old school Bible. So Acts 17, 16 to 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, and he was waiting for Timothy and Silas, by the way, to catch him up, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship, I even find an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. 
From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Wow, so there is loads in there, isn't there? Um, but I just want to clarify a couple of things for you. So my first point is the knowledge of God versus knowing God. But I had to Google a few words in this passage, unless you're all philosophy geniuses at home, which a couple of you might be, I don't know, maybe you are. Um, but it's useful just for context to, to figure out who Paul was speaking to. So he was speaking to the Epicureans. What is an Epicurean? Uh, very basically, and there's way more to it than what I'm saying here, but the general gist is, they used to think our existence has a natural end and that we basically have nothing better to do than enjoy ourselves while we're here enjoy pleasurable things. So we're born, we enjoy, we die, the end. And I kind of seize the day um, mentality, although they, didn't, they did think you should live simply, which I tend to agree with, avoid pain and discomfort at all costs, and you do you, that, that kind of idea. There's definitely a lot of people like that nowadays, aren't there? Looking after number one, avoiding discomfort and enjoying things at pleasure. And then we stop, wow, no God. And then the Stoic philosophers, well, these folk believed in something. They just weren't totally sure what maybe, but probably Zeus. And as long as they keep going through the trials of life and the tough stuff with dignity and a decent moral compass, they'll be okay. So they're kind of, I'm a decent person, as long as I'm good and I'm kind, and that's okay, right? And in general, the people who Paul was chatting to in this passage were religious. They had 12 deities, and it said that there were over 300 idols in the city that would have been worshipped and often literal statues and altars throughout the whole city of Athens. And so a lot of them were open to something and they loved nothing more than to stand around all day in their bedsheets discussing philosophy and the meaning of life. In this passage, we see these mega, super big brain debaters of philosophy. They had all this knowledge. They loved to accumulate it and think about theories and philosophies, but they didn't know God in any way. In fact, they didn't even know that they could know God. This was a brand new thought. They were so religious. Paul was trying to show them that it wasn't about accumulating knowledge. He was trying to take it out of their heads and place it into their hearts. And honestly, I think this is a miracle, the fact that anyone believed what Paul said and agreed with it that day. Have you ever tried debating with somebody who's really sure about what they think or has a strong opinion on something? It's really difficult to convince someone that way. A wise and dear friend of mine, Bren Gordon, said to me, you can't argue with anyone into the kingdom. You have to love them in. And I think this is true, but 
this day Paul did experience a miracle because people did believe from what they'd heard. But I wonder if it wasn't just the information, but something different that convinced them that day. I wonder what the Holy Spirit was doing in the people there. I wonder what they saw in Paul that stood out like nothing they'd ever seen before, nothing they'd heard before. A message of a God you can have a relationship with, a message of hope and grace. And I'm, I am not a big-brained academic like these dudes. I'm intelligent, and actually that's quite a hard thing for me to say out loud, but I'm going to say it because God made me intelligent. And honestly, maybe it's something you want to say out loud to yourself. It's something you struggle with, this idea of you having intelligence. Then say it out loud because you are intelligent and you have a good brain. But really, I'm not great at reading books and I'm not good at sitting exams. I literally dropped out of school, out of college and out of university. I don't have a degree. I barely have any exam results from school. And maybe you're all shocked and you think, well, what on earth is she doing there? Um, well, maybe you would like to think that. But God uses the unlikely. Or maybe you're relieved because I'm just, I'm just pretty normal. But it is something I struggle with, especially in this role. I find myself justifying myself. I feel vastly underqualified. Do you feel underqualified for anything? <laughs> find myself saying to people, I don't have a degree in theology, but I'm doing modules, as if that's the most important thing. Nobody even flinches. Nobody cares. Only me. Because I have to forget about that, because the thing I've realized is it doesn't matter. The most important thing I can do as someone's pastor, and probably as a Christian, is deepen my heart knowledge of God, deepen my relationship with him, spend time with him, listen to him, read his word, ask to be filled with his Holy Spirit. I have to really get to know him. It's the most important thing that I can do. And it's the most important thing that you can do if you want to share your faith with others, especially. Because let's face it, religion is not attractive, but relationship is. Knowledge can be appealing at times, but ultimately as humans, all we crave is to be known and loved and seen and accepted. Full stop. And if people can see that from your relationship with Jesus, that, that, that you've got that, it's priceless. It goes beyond any knowledge you can gain, any information you can share, any debate you can have with them. So let's not worry so much about our knowledge of God, but really get to know God. So let's get to know him. And also let's know who we worship. Know who you worship. So I like to run. It's a bit of a running joke. See what I did there? That I don't often have a talk without running in it. But it's been a while, believe it or not. Uh, so here we are again. But running is in the place where I, I sort of sort out my head space. It's my mental health outlet. It's the place I find just, yeah, my thoughts, myself again, pounding the pavement, losing myself in my thoughts. And my worries kind of slip away as I breathe in the fresh air. I absolutely love it. It's a part of my routine and rhythm, and it's a part of who I am. But recently, I've had to change how, what I say about that. I used to say, oh, I'm a runner, to I've had to change it to, I like to run, uh, to, uh, I quite like to walk run, um, or, oh, yeah, walking's okay, to I have to cycle, because I've been injured, which is basically bad for everyone, by the way, because I am proper crab it without running. Never mind, how can I cope? But if I'm honest, my identity is a little too heavily wrapped up in this. And now potentially it's been stripped away. And I really don't like it. I really don't like it. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, 
answers what an idol is in this way. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything you seek to give, give you what only God can give you. And maybe that isn't quite running, but possibly it's something I've ignorantly become a little too reliant on. Too much of my identity. It takes too much of my time and thought. Or, or Craig, I don't know about you, what about your phone? That's something that's right up there. So I hope you're all looking forward to those walking and cycling stories in my talks now. But um, let's just do a little heart check, a healthy heart check here. Are there any idols in your lives that, that just take a little bit too much of you? It could be your identity, it could be money, it could be your job, your physical appearance, sex, comfort, your phone, your influence. I'm sure there are more, that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. But I find what I think are quite useful questions around this area, love to be practical. And you might want to jot them down and spend a bit of time with them later, just maybe you and Jesus or you and an accountability partner or just whoever it is you share that kind of thing with and have a chat with them. So if you've got your pen and paper ready, you're going to write these down. Where do I spend my time? Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? Where do I spend my money? Where do I get my joy? And what's always on my mind? Hopefully you find those useful. And I, I've not brought those so that you can go away beating yourself up or shooting somebody else down. But it's really good just to check, have a healthy heart check sometimes, because sometimes a good thing can become an ultimate thing. For when we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing, we worship anything, said G.K. Chesterton, a theologian. It's in our nature. And so Athens was, back to Athens, was this absolutely epic place to see. The buildings they had were impressive. The knowledge they were amassing was vast. But they were completely, like completely missing the point. They'd made God into human-made statues. They'd made him tiny and small, exclusive and distant. They'd made him something they can manipulate through behavior. But what I love Paul tells them about is the God that we worship. So let's remind ourselves who our God is. We worship God who created everything. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. We worship a God who gives us everything. Verse 25, it is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. We worship a God, verse 26, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. We worship a God who is near to us. Verse 27, he did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. We worship a God who includes us in his family. Verse 27, made us his offspring. We worship a God who will judge everyone who, and who raised Jesus to life. We worship a God who will judge the world by justice, by the man appointed by raising him from the dead. What a great God we worship. Let's just be sure that we're giving him our best. So let's invest in knowing God, really knowing him, in knowing who we worship. And some exciting news, everyone wants to know God and God wants to know everyone. So it's holiday time for a lot of us and I've been celebrating every time I see somebody on Facebook and a sunny holiday, I'm like, whoo, this is like normal living again. 
So let's celebrate that. And we're going away at the end of the holidays to Tyree. You can pretend where you know that is, but nobody really does. It's a wee island off the west coast of Scotland. And I do the packing, love a list, and I try to prepare, lay things aside. I don't fully pack. We've basically not got enough stuff for that. But I lay it out, and then Ali does the vacuum packing of the boot. And we do this thing where we've packed, we're in the car, and we do our checklists once we're on our journey. I'm not quite sure we don't check before we leave, but uh, never mind. Seems to make it real once you're in the car. The kids join in too, and they start shouting things. We go, toothbrushes, check. Tickets, check. And we go through, and basically, we usually figure out before we've left the village uh, what we've forgotten. And we turn around and go back. But worse than that is we've done all the checks, and everybody thinks we've got everything, apart from me. Because honestly, I know. I know deep in my knower that I've forgotten something. Something big and important, usually medicine or chargers, but I can't quite put my finger on what it is. There's something missing. That is what before knowing God feels like. There's something missing. You can't put your finger on it. There's a space, a gap, a hole, that as much as you try, you can't fill it. And maybe you're sitting at home thinking, yeah, I've got, I've got that empty space, I'm searching. And verse 27, you're reaching out to find something. And here's the best news ever. Verse 27, he's not far from any of us. And we're going to pray later. And in case you want to reach out and find Jesus today, this is your heads up. I'm going to pray that prayer later that you can follow. And the Athenians would have debated for a lifetime and still never find out what they were searching for. Because we get lost in our questions a bit, don't we? Because there's, there's a lot of questions, a lot of doubts in our wanting to prove it all. Because let's face it, if there's anything we hate, it's looking stupid or being wrong. And there's anything we love, it's being right. But we can't have all the answers all the time. More questions tend to appear as we go along. But something happened in the hearts of the people in that room that day. And it can happen here today in yours as well. And we all want to know God because we're made in his image. We're his family, his offspring, and everyone is included. Paul had been in the marketplace with everyone from all walks of life. And the message is for them. And now he's talking to the educated, clever lot, and they're seeking God as well. And the message is also for them. Paul wanted to show them it's not only, God is not only heavenly, but he's here and he wants to know everyone. So if he wants to know everyone, and actually everyone wants to know him, who do you know that needs to know? You can help someone know God. I, I watched a TV program the other day. And you know, it's the kind of TV program that you watch once because someone you love really likes the program and you're just being polite and kind, basically. Um, really not up my street at all. Usually, yeah, just one episode will do. Uh, sometimes Ali, my husband, sneaks down in the morning to watch his programs on his own. Uh, what is he on? Formula One documentary at the moment. I don't get Formula One, let alone a documentary on it. But anyway, he loves that. Um, but anyway, what I also don't get, and I'm going to have to apologise because some of you guys are going to love this stuff and I'm sorry, I just don't get it, is cricket. Okay? I don't get it. It is basically just less fun, fancy rounders, right? Sorry, forgive me. It's not a big Scottish sport, so I hope I'm going to get away with it. But as uh, this is online, probably not. Um, but anyway, we're all different. It's all good. But I watched Freddie Flintoff's Field of Dreams. Maybe you've seen it. And it's a great, great wee programme. It's really sweet. And Freddie Flintoff, you know the guy from Top Gear? I mean, uh, the famous cricketer. He, um, he's trying to 
gather a team of people. And it's, it's more importantly, it's from the place that he was from, which is quite a deprived area in Lancashire, where young lads think football is king. And honestly, they want nothing to do with cricket. They're like, literally like my response, like, what? It's boring. It's posh. I don't get it. And I'm right there with them. But over time, we get a wee, they get a wee shot of cricket and they end up playing it. And eventually, you can let me know how it ends. So imagine their lives are transformed by cricket and everyone lives happily ever after. I'm not going to watch any more episodes. So if I'm wrong, email me and let me know. But my point is that Freddie Flintoff is perfectly placed to preach to these guys about cricket. And something they want nothing to know about. They, like, they really are just into football. They're in the football school of philosophy. But he's the right person because he's from the area, he's approachable, he speaks their language, he's been in their shoes, he's cool. These teenagers are listening because he's, he's the right person to speak to them. Paul is perfectly prepared to preach to those guys because he's well-educated, he didn't always believe in Jesus, so he can remember how that felt. He can speak the language, he knows the culture, he knows what you, words to use to stir up and provoke thought. And so we all have to be like Paul and debate at a highly intelligent level with the people that we meet at Aldi and at work. Is that all right with everyone? No, let's not. Let's not do that. Because you are perfectly placed to speak to the people that you know, the people that you have influence over in your culture, in your language, with the journey that you've had. So I think there's two things that are good to know about how to speak to people about Jesus. And the first thing you need to know is the story. Paul explains the story, the story, beautifully. God is the beginning, the middle, and the never-ending. He turns it on his head of what folk believe here. God is close, not distant. God saves us. God is the only judge. God knows us. God is our family. God isn't in statues. He's alive and with us and moving in us. These people must have been reeling from what they'd heard, undoing what they thought they knew. And the other thing, the second thing we need to know, which isn't in the passage, but I'm sure Paul did know it. And actually, I'm sure the people there would have known from Paul. He would have been renowned, having gone from this persecutor to this preacher. Is you have to know your story. Have you ever had those moments where someone asks you, well, why, why are you a Christian? And you become a babbler. You fall over your words, you use big Christian language, and you crash and burn. You go away, you're kicking yourself. What an opportunity. We need to be ready with our stories. You're waiting for the bus. You've popped in on your neighbor for a copy. You're waiting for the microwave to ping at work. You're at the side of the pitch watching sport. You're at Lidl. You're at the gym. You're walking the dog. You have minutes. The bus is coming. The microwave's going to ping. The, the whistle will blow. The bill needs paid. So let's be ready. And I've got some questions, again, really practical, some questions to practice, which seems contrived in a way, but honestly, it's so helpful if you've prepped and you know what your answer is. So here's your three questions. Again, you want to write them down, take some time with them, practice them. What was your life like before you knew Jesus? How did you get to know Jesus? I think this one's really key. How is your life different now that you know Jesus? So take some time with those questions because there's someone that needs to know that you could tell. So let's really know God in our hearts. Let's figure out who we worship. Let's remember that God wants to know everyone and everyone wants to know God. And let's be asking ourselves, who can I help know God today?
And then just to wrap up all my thoughts on our all-knowing God who wants to be known. I'm so grateful that he knows it all and I don't have to. He knows everything about you. And I remember a pastor saying during a preach before I was a Christian, and I find it really useful to imagine. So imagine right now that up on the screen, the media team are going to pop up every single detail about your life, every thought, everything you've done, everything you've ever said, everything, the good, the bad, the worse, all of it. And then how do you think the people next year are going to react? Hopefully with grace, maybe not. But let me tell you, Jesus knows all of that already. He knows every detail and he loves you anyway. And he knows everything that you will ever say or do or think. And he loves you anyway. And then I just want to read this psalm over us to finish. It's psalm 139, and it's a couple of little parts of it. Just let it sort of permeate, let it wash over you. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And then I'm just jumping down to 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So I'm just going to pray for us. And I'm also going to do that prayer that I said I would if anybody wants to say yes to Jesus for the first time today. So if that's you, just follow this prayer in your heart. And then I'm just going to pray for all of us as well. Oh, dear Lord, thank you that you know us. Thank you that you see it all and that you love us anyway. And Lord, I pray for anyone who wants to say yes to you today, that wants to turn away from their sin and turn towards you. So we say, Lord, we're sorry for the things that we've done. And we turn to you now. We want to follow you for the rest of our days. Thank you for dying on the cross for us and coming back to life. And Lord, we invite you to live in our hearts today through your Holy Spirit, moving us. And for the rest of us, Lord, we pray that you guide us. Thank you that we need your wisdom. Thank you that you know who we're going to talk to tomorrow, this week. Give us opportunities. Help us to be prepared a little with our stories, with your story. Thank you that we all have an opportunity and a part to play in growing your kingdom this way. And Lord, I really pray it just starts to sink into our hearts. Give us deep heart knowledge of you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.